Welcome to Horty Springer's Health Law Expressions Podcast on a segment we like to call the Kickback Chronicles. I'm Henry Cassell. And I'm Halo Mazoffer. We invite you to kick back and relax as we dive into this week's case. The title of today's podcast is Master of Disguise. Over the course of our time here in the Kickback Chronicles, we've reviewed cases with some pretty complex schemes. We've seen people try to lie to the feds and hide their wrongdoing, and others that have gotten themselves given themselves up as guilty the first time a federal agent even looked crosswise at them. But today, we are going to look at probably the most extensive attempt to cover up wrongdoing that we have seen yet. So today's case takes us to the state of Arkansas to focus on Dr. Joe David May. Also known by his alliterative nom de fraud as J. May. Here, I want to give a helpful hint to anyone who uh, ever finds themselves reading a criminal case. Anytime you see AKA in the caption of a federal criminal case, you can pretty much be assured that things did not go well for the defendant. Sorry, Hala, please tell us what happened to Mr. J. May. Absolutely, Henry. So I want to be clear that this scheme involves a lot of people, any of which we could focus on. But the reason we focus on Dr. J. May here is because he's the only one that after being caught with what I would personally consider a sizable amount of evidence, decided to play our favorite game of press your luck and take his case to trial. But we will get more into that later. Now, this scheme is centered around TRICARE. And I don't believe we've discussed TRICARE yet on the Kickback Chronicles, just Medicare and Medicaid. And I think it's important to have some general knowledge about TRICARE, not just for understanding the scheme, but understanding the takedown. So, Henry, can you give us a quick rundown of what exactly TRICARE is? Now, TRICARE used to be called CHAMPUS. And for those of us of a certain vintage, we still think <laughs> of it as CHAMPUS. But the current correct name is TRICARE. But regardless of which name you use, is a program of the U.S. Department of Defense that provides health care insurance coverage for military personnel, retirees, their family, and survivors. TRICARE falls within the definition of a federal health care program, just like Medicare and Medicaid does, which means that the anti-kickback statute will apply if remuneration is paid to any person in cash or in kind, and is intended to induce referral of business that is paid for in whole or in part by, in this case, TRICARE. For the purpose of this case, it's important to know that TRICARE provides prescription drug coverage, including coverage for certain compounded drugs. It is also important to note that not only did TRICARE pay for these compounded medications, they paid very well to the tune of thousands of dollars per month for covered compounded medications. TRICARE also shipped refills of these medications automatically. So the TRICARE program is to be commended for providing needed prescription coverage to our military personnel throughout the world. It is a system that is built on trust. Trust that the prescribers who order the compounded drugs will only prescribe medically necessary medication and that the pharmacists who fill the medication do so in an honest and forthright manner. Unfortunately, because it is a program that's built on trust, TRICARE is also a system that can be ripe for fraud by the unscrupulous. And I think that'll be very helpful knowledge to have in the back of your head when you understand partially how these individuals got caught. Now, this scheme is a little confusing, so let's talk about the players involved first. 
At the center of the scheme is a compounding pharmacy in Mississippi. Now, this isn't your little mom-and-pop pharmacy. They receive prescriptions from all across the country, compounded drugs for those patients, ship the drugs back across the country, and then build the patient's insurers for reimbursement. So this isn't the type of place that knows your name. In order to, to promote their business, this compounding pharmacy hired a Tennessee-based marketing company to promote their compounded drugs across the country. Now, this marketing firm worked with an Arkansas man named Albert Glenn Hudson, who did business under the name Major Healing LLC that would help promote the pharmacy's drugs. And Hudson had recruiters under him that would look for patients. I feel like we've seen a similar setup to this before. So, Henry, is this basic scheme legal? Hella, let me take you on a trip down memory lane. <laughs> Happy it's been a long, long time since I was in law school, but... I'll always remember when a law professor told one of my classmates who answered a question, not yes, not no, he looked and said, well, I guess it depends. And the professor got all excited and said, congratulations, you are now thinking like a lawyer. <laughs> Hala, sorry to answer this question this way, but the answer as to whether this arrangement is lawful depends. This all might be fine, but it depends on how the marketing firm was paid by the pharmacy and how the marketing firm paid its recruiters. So the basic structure may have been okay, but here's where things went wrong and made sure everything certainly was not legal. So the marketing company told Hudson that marketing for this pharmacy was lucrative because, as Henry mentioned, TRICARE paid thousands of dollars per month per patient for its drugs and it shipped the refills automatically. So, the marketing company advised Hudson to focus on generating TRICARE prescriptions and suggested Hudson use prescribers that he could trust to rubber stamp prescriptions, that is, sign without examining patients, something we have seen all too often on the Kickback Chronicles. So, around January 2015, Hudson began forming a network to generate prescriptions. This required two things. One, prescribers to prescribe the drugs, and two, beneficiaries to receive them. So around this time, Dr. J. May was working for a community hospital in Arkansas, and he coincidentally had a lifelong friend named Derek Clifton who worked in the medical sales industry. Now, it wasn't super clear how Dr. J. May's old pal got involved in this, but Clifton told Hudson that May would rubber stamp prescriptions in exchange for cash. And to seal the deal, Hudson had Clifton sign a distributor agreement they gave him 20% of the sales he generated. And while not in the contract, the understanding was that Clifton would pay May to sign prescriptions and that some of the money paid would also be offered to TRICARE beneficiaries to receive the drugs. So essentially, May agreed to rubber stamp prescriptions from Clifton in exchange for cash kickbacks. Now, we would be remiss if we didn't point out the most ironic part of this agreement. This agreement specifically required Clifton to comply with laws or enticements and kickbacks and barred him from compensating healthcare providers in any way. So the agreement that healthcare used for the purpose of paying kickbacks and to engage in fraud forbid him from engaging in those very acts. Quite a catch-22. This is why the feds are not bound by the terms of an agreement, even though we put in an agreement that this is all above board, there's no intention to uh, pay kickbacks that were complying with all laws, they're not bound by that. They will look at the party's intent and, more importantly, their actions in order to determine whether the Medicare anti-kickback statute has been violated in a particular instance. 
So with this agreement in place, the marketing company supplied these pre-printed check-the-box prescription forms that listed available compounds, which included various pain creams, scar creams, and supplements. And prescribers only needed to check the box beside the drugs, drug or drugs, enter the number of refills, and sign their name. Hudson gave recruiters these pre-printed prescription forms, telling them TRICARE beneficiaries could select whatever drug they liked, while also advising recruiters to push, of course, the most expensive drugs. Now, if TRICARE beneficiaries did not care what drugs they received, Hudson indicated he or the recruiters could select the drugs themselves. And as we often see, Clifton and others were encouraged to solicit TRICARE beneficiaries without regard to medical necessity. These forms would then go to a provider, one of which was Dr. J. May, to sign off on the form without examining patients or demanding medical information, making the prescription ready to be sent to the pharmacy for compounding and billing TRICARE. On receipt of the prescriptions, the pharmacy then shipped the compounded drugs to the beneficiaries and submitted prescription claims to TRICARE for reimbursement. The payments then went from TRICARE to the pharmacy, to the marketing company, to Hudson, who would then take his cut, to individuals like Clifton, who would take their cut, and on to prescribers like May, who would take their cut for rubber stamping their prescriptions. And to give you an idea of the paper trail these individuals left, once a pre-printed form was completed by a patient, Hudson emailed the pre-printed prescriptions as PDFs to Clifton, Dr. J. May's old pal, who then emailed them to May, who used an app on his phone to e-sign them. Dr. J. May then emailed the signed prescriptions back to Hudson, who sent them along to the pharmacy. So naturally, every fraudulent prescription was trackable. In one email, Clifton even told May that there were 13 prescri- prescriptions, and let's get these turned around as quickly as possible. May then signed all 13 prescriptions and returned them 13 minutes later. It's pretty difficult to conduct that many exams in such a short period. And the payout for Dr. J. May's rubber stamp depended depended on who supplied the beneficiary. If Clifton or one of his own recruiters found the beneficiary, Hudson paid Clifton 20% of TRICARE's payout, consistent with the terms of their, quote, distributor agreement, end of quote. If someone else found the beneficiary and Clifton merely supplied May's signature, Hudson paid Clifton a flat fee, often of a thousand bucks. And forgetting the old mob saying, say little and write less, and despite the fact that they were operating a scam business, they kept excellent records of their wrongdoing. So they had a payout reports listing every prescription for which people were paid, accompanied by records for every payment from the marketing company, company to Hudson, and every Hudson payment to his subordinates, including Clifton, And these reports also included patient names, drugs dispensed, TRICARE reimbursements, and I'm sure you guessed it, prescriber names. And now, this all was happening at a very unique time. So around March of 2015, there were talks beginning that beginning on May 1st, 2015, TRICARE was implementing a new policy to control reimbursement. That's a great point, Henry. And this group took note. In fact, the marketing company sent an email to Hudson, who later forwarded it to everyone down the chain, essentially telling them to make the most of the reimbursements while they lasted. There were even emails between the recruiters saying things like, bring everything you have until May 1st, and let's blow it out the rest of the month and next month. And not surprisingly, their volume of prescriptions increased and peaked near the end of April 2015. 
On May 5th, 2015, a few months after these initial rumors started, CBS News aired an expose about compounding pharmacies and drug reps targeting service members to receive pain and scar cream due to TRICARE reimbursement. Gee, imagine that. <laughs> the report showed that TRICARE had been paying hundreds of millions of dollars every month toward these items, and the government didn't take long to react. Less than a week later, on May 11th, TRICARE stopped processing compounded drug claims. Unfortunately, remember, TRICARE is there to provide prescription drugs to service people throughout the world, they felt that the moratorium really couldn't last that long. And later that same summer, TRICARE resumed processing compounded drug claims, although for less money, certain new compounded drugs, which required new prescriptions, all of which the compounding pharmacy in Mississippi was more than happy to start making. Of course, Henry. Now, despite the brief pause and a slight change in the reimbursement rules, Federal agents began investigating these pharmacies and others connected with schemes like this. And it didn't take them long to find and focus on dear old Dr. J. May, especially since they had emails and texts from those involved specifically indicating that May had been paid to rubber stamp prescriptions. Texts as specific as, what will I need to pay Joe? <laughs> not something you want the FBI to know about if you're involved in one of these schemes. No, not great. So, in January 2016, the FBI interviewed May. Now we will give credit where it is due. May admitted to prescribing the compounding drugs at issue, but denied doing so without first consulting patients or knowingly prescribing for out-of-state patients. A little half-truth, if you will. So May told the FBI that he prescribed compounded drugs for patients he saw clinically, but acknowledged Clifton sometimes had him contact patients he thought might benefit from the drugs. In those cases, May claimed he would examine the patient by telephone and depending on what was said, he would sometimes prescribe drugs. And it's no surprise that May denied being offered or having received anything of value from Clifton for prescribing drugs. And here we're going to do a little public service announcement. Okay. Uh, when the FBI knocked on Dr. J. May's door, Dr. May should have either said nothing other than lawyer or he should have told the truth. Probably the stupidest thing that he could do is lie to the FBI. The FBI does not stop by for casual uh, conversations, and they don't speak to a target like May until they have a great deal of information. So they would know when he is lying, and lying to the FBI is never going to end well. Um, not, not that we've seen yet, anyways, Henry. Um, and to top it all off, at the end of the interview, the FBI handed May a subpoena requesting the corresponding medical records for all those patients he had seen. Minutes after the FBI interview ended, May called Clifton, who immediately texted Hudson, call ASAP. So in an effort to save their butts, they tried to fabricate and falsify medical records for the patients. And I'll let you in on a little secret, they didn't do a very good job. Of course, they lied about examining the patients, but it was the substance of the records that makes you think, really, that's the best you could come up with? So they alter records to say things like scar on arm, when you could clearly see the patient didn't have a scar. They even lied about surgeries, writing lumbar three repair, when the patient had never undergone back surgery. And if you're a prosecutor, that is not even sporting. So others involved in the scheme also altered payout reports, circulated messages for individuals to say, to deny being paid for getting prescriptions, 
even specifically noting that they wanted everyone to be on the same page, and so on. But the thing about changing records is that the metadata in these documents shows very clearly when, when reports are altered. So these efforts were fruitless because on September 11, 2020, Clifton, May, and the others were indicted. The indictment charged them with 22 counts, including conspiracy, wire fraud, mail fraud, violating the anti-kickback statute. Oh, this is a surprise. Lying to the FBI, <laughs> falsifying records, another surprise, and aggravated identity theft. The indictment and the superseding indictment are very explicit. They list page upon page of text and emails exchanged between and among the defendants laid out this complicated set of facts as clearly as possible. When faced with the evidence against them, all nine of May's co-conspirators decided that discretion was the better part of valor, and all nine of these individuals pleaded guilty to conspiracy and elected to cooperate with the federal government. All nine of these defendants, except for May, who chose to take his case to trial despite the evidence against him, despite the detail in the indictment, and despite the fact that several of his co-conspirators, as part of their plea agreement, agreed to testify against him. Proof of trial showed May stood at the center of a bogus prescription drug assembly line and later had gone to great lengths to, in a failed attempt to cover it up. May had rubber-stamped 226 prescriptions for which TRICARE paid over $4.63 million. All but one of his prescriptions were for, quote, patients, and of quote, he did not know, never treated, and knew nothing about. May even tried to mischaracterize a $5,000 cash kickback as Oakland winnings from the 2015 Arkansas Derby. And at, in total, TRICARE paid more than $12 million for fraudulent prescriptions issued to its beneficiaries through this complicated scheme we've been discussing. And in June 2022, after a six-day trial, the jury convicted May on all 22 counts. May was found guilty of conspiracy to commit wire fraud, 10, 10 counts of wire fraud, 4 counts of mail fraud, 1 count of violating the anti-kickback statute, two counts of aggravated identity theft, one count of making false statements to the FBI, one he could have avoided, two counts of falsifying records, and one count of altering records. Now, all but one of the co-conspirators in this trial have been sentenced, with their sentences ranging from three years probation all the way up to 51 months imprisonment. And as you imagine, this somewhat correlated with the amounts each was required to forfeit, so the individual who was placed on three years probation only had to forfeit 68000 and the individual sentenced to 51 months was ordered to forfeit $1.1 million. Hey, now tell us, what happens to someone who chooses to go to trial when faced with this uh, kind of evidence, and what was his sentence compared with the others you just described? Oh, Thank you for asking, Henry. So, a few weeks ago, as his reward for going to trial, Dr. J. May was uh, awarded a sentence of substantially longer than his co-conspirators who pled guilty. Dr. J. May was sentenced to 102 months in the slammer, with an additional three years of supervised release to follow. And, as a little cherry on top of all that, he was ordered to pay back more than $4.63 million in restitution to TRICARE. And while it wasn't discussed 
in the court or in the discussions of the um, conviction, he will, because he was a doctor at one point, <laughs> he will have his license revoked by the state. He will also be excluded from the Medicare program for 10 years, all as a result of these convictions. So not only do you have these, uh, which actually coincides with the time he'll get out of jail, I think, oh, yeah. but... Um, so not only do you have these criminal uh, and civil forfeiture penalties, but you also have administrative penalties that will occur as a direct result of the criminal conviction. Now, as stated by Jonathan R. Ross, the U.S. Attorney for the Eastern District of Arkansas, whose office prosecuted this case, our system is built on trust and those who abuse it do so at their peril. Similarly, an OIG agent involved in this case stated federal law health care programs rely on the honesty and integrity of doctors to prescribe medically necessary medications to their patients. Gee, Halo, does that sound familiar? A little bit. <laughs> so, again, this is a pro, pro, federal health care programs are built on trust. They expect the individuals involved who will receive reimbursement from those programs to act in a truthful and trusting manner, and the penalty for abusing that trust is incredibly substantial and onerous. So, and we think that given all the work that his office, office put in on this case, U.S. Attorney Ross deserves the last word in this case, and he's quoted as saying, Dr. May accepted kickbacks, treated TRICARE, and tried to deceive federal agents investigating his crimes. Now he will trade hospital scrubs for a prison uniform. Let this case serve as a warning to others in the medical industry. Our office and our partners at the FBI and the OIG are committed to rooting out anyone who succumbs to the temptation of easing money. Truer words were never spoken. If you want to learn more about the False Claims Act, the Anti-Kickback Statute, the Stark Law, amendments to these regulations, and much more, and other tips on how not to trade hospital scrubs for a prison uniform, please consider joining Dan Mulholland and myself in Phoenix, November 16 to 18, 2023, for our next seminar. In the interim, be sure to check out the Horty Springer website to find out how to receive our free weekly newsletter, The Health Law Express as well as for more information about new and upcoming opportunities on this and many other health law-related topics. Thanks for listening, and tune in next time to the next edition of the Kickback Chronicles so you can keep learning from the misfortune of others. 